Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live, the show where we hunt down conservative and libertarian culture warriors who are out there fighting for the preservation of the Western world, and in this case, Australia. It's not an easy job, and if we're ever going to claw back some semblance of the Australian dream, we need help from all walks of life. Today's guest has taken one of the most challenging and difficult paths through the woke landscape. He chose to put himself out in front of the public in the ruthless process of election and won. Becoming a senator for Victoria representing the United Australia Party, I speak, of course, of Senator Ralph Babette. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alexandra. I love your show. Uh, you are one of the only voices of common sense out there in the entirety of the media landscape. So thank God for you. Thank God for people like you. I follow you on Twitter. If you don't follow Alexandra on Twitter, I urge you to follow for some great content. Very funny, very witty, and always on topic and on point. So oh, thank you for having me on. I'm so glad you got that post-it note to promote me before the show. That's brilliant. Now, <laughs> Politics, Ralph, what a nightmare. You must be completely insane. Uh, look, it hasn't been easy. Uh, politics is a dumpster fire. Uh, I'm sure many of your, of your listeners and your viewers out there might have a very dim view of politics, and I'm going to go right ahead and confirm that dim view. We have people in Parliament right now, as I live and breathe right now, that do not give a damn about Australia. All they care about is protecting that cushy job that they have for, you know, uh, $220,000 a year or whatever it is, protecting that job at all costs. We have people in politics right now that are part of the, of the, of the Liberal and the Labor Party machine. And what do I mean by that? I mean, they started from the bottom. They paid their dues as an advisor or something like that in someone's office. They work their way up the chain. Perhaps they were in the unions, work their way up that food chain. Uh, what they've done is they've hung around for long enough prove their loyalty to the brand, to the machine, and then being placed in a cushy, in a cushy safe Labor or Liberal seat, and they've gone up through the ranks and now they're an MP or they're a senator. They could not care less about you. Let me make that clear. They could not care less about you. They only care about pleasing the machine and protecting their job. And that's exactly the wrong people to be working in politics, the wrong people. We need regular, everyday people to stand up, stand up and say, you know what, I want to have my voice heard. I want to have my uh, have 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 uh, my views given the light of day. I'm sick of these career politicians. I'm going to stand up. I want to do something about it. That's what I decided to do. And if you're sitting at home right now, you need to do the same thing. Yeah, I get the feeling that people are starting to feel that emotion coming from the big state politicians who uh, who live and breathe politics, but maybe not live and breathe the Australian culture and the Australian dream. But before we get to your political career, tell us just a little bit about you. What did you do prior to becoming a senator and why did you decide to throw yourself into the fire of politics and run for the Senate? Yeah, so I've always been interested in the people that lead our country, uh, always from the sidelines though. And when I was very young, I, I kept on seeing, you know, these people 
consistently making bad decisions one after the other that disadvantage our country and disadvantage the average everyday person. And I thought, what is going on? This can't be right. And I thought, you know what, one day I'm going to do something about this, but the time wasn't right. I was too young. Um, then, you know, uh, life changed and uh, I eventually went on to start a small business, ran my small business for a while, and then COVID came along. COVID came along and I watched all of the overreach happen. I watched um, I watched uh, every government in the world working together in a perfect harmony, uh, rolling out the same, um, the same draconian measures across every single country. And I thought, what is going on? How are they all doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time? Something's wrong here. Started looking into it, uh, delved into the United Nations, delved into the World Economic Forum, and I thought, no. Nah, I got to do something about this. I got to put my hand up. I put my hand up. Uh, if I know, if if I knew now what I knew back then, maybe I might have had a, a different point of view. But I was a bit naive. I put put I, I put up the hand. I saw that Clive Palmer was looking for candidates. I looked into Clive Palmer. Love or hate the man, he's an Australian patriot. He loves his country. He's self-made, and I thought I can resonate with this guy. Got on the team. Applied like everyone else was uh, successful in getting the number one Senate position for the United Australia Party in Victoria, worked really hard, campaigned across the entirety of Victoria, even did a few interstate gigs as well to help other candidates. And, uh, you know, God willing, thankfully, enough people uh, went ahead and voted for me. And here I am today representing average everyday people in parliament, not part of a big party machine. It's just me. I'm the guy. Um, you know, uh, this time last year, I was working a regular job and now I'm in parliament. And I think that's exactly what we need. We need regular people in parliament. Well, that's how it used to be, Ralph. But look, you're also the uh, you're a migrant. So clearly you must be a darling of the left, surely. <laughs> hey, look, I'm a brown guy. I'm a migrant. You know, I've, I come from humble beginnings. I, I came to Australia when I was about seven years of age. Uh, when, in, you know, in fact, when I first came to Australia, I couldn't even speak English. I, I, I literally only spoke French. I learned to speak English in primary school. So get this, um, first day of primary school, no English at all, come to class, Thankfully, praise the Lord, there was another little boy in the classroom who spoke English and French. And what he would do, whenever the teacher would give us our work in English, he would take me outside and explain to me what I had to do in French. So I'd go back into the classroom, complete my work in French, and then the teacher would grade my work. God bless her. She had no idea what, uh, what I was writing, what I was saying, but I got a few gold stars. So I must have done all right. And gradually, gradually, as the months and the years went on, I learned to speak English um, just by being around other English speakers. But luckily, because I was young, it wasn't that hard to pick up. So, you know, that's a bit of uh, my background, where I come from. You'd think I'd be a darling of the left, but I'm not. And the reason I'm not a darling of the left is because I reject all this, all this, you know, identity politics. I reject all this race politics. I, re I reject all this gender politics. I reject the idea of big government. That's why they don't like me, because I reject all those things that they seem to love so much. And that's okay with me. They don't have to like me. <laughs> well, it sounds like you had your uh, old school and your own personal little uh, Google Translate working there for you. But frankly, you speak about this nation with more love and respect and, and honour than the entire Green movement. I can see you've stolen all of the Australian flags in Parliament, which is, uh, <laughs> which is great to see. But look, you said, and I want to share this quote from you with our listeners. So I quote, when we arrived here in Australia, my parents had nothing, not a thing. Like many others who have come before, my parents worked hard for everything they had, end quote. 
Now that's a very similar story to those of us who have a colonial history who came here with quite literally nothing and sacrificed often their own lives to build this country. Are you disheartened to see so many activists and politicians purposefully dividing Australia along the lines specifically of race in search of money and power? Yeah, I am. I am. Everyone should be judged by the content of their character. Everyone should be judged by their actions, not on the colour of their skin. And I know exactly why they're doing what they are doing right now. A divided society, Alexandra, when a society is divided, it is easier to control. It's the old line of divide and conquer. And that's exactly what these guys are doing today. But you've got to remember this, all your listeners out there, your politicians, not all of them, but a lot of your politicians are just puppets. Men behind the curtain, men and women, Men and women, let's be politically correct for just one second. Everyone can be (laughs) as as bad here. Behind the curtain, pull the strings. They pull the strings. They tell these guys what to think, what to say, when to say it, how to say it. It is a very corrupt business. Politics is a very corrupt business. And I'm telling you this, and I'm sure I will not get re-elected. They're going to do everything they can. Not that I'm going to try, but if if I did, they would do everything they can to keep a guy like me out of parliament. And you know what? I'm sure I'll be attacked after this interview, but I'm going to say it how it is. I'm going to tell the truth. It's very corrupt. It's it's the old adage, divide and conquer. That's what's happening right now. Well, the uh, seat that you occupy was actually snatched out of the hands of a Liberal. Would you say that your emergence as a UAP senator is due to the frustration that conservatives and libertarian-minded people are feeling toward the major parties, and not just after the disgrace that was COVID, but also all this net zero stuff, which is causing people to uh, lose the ability to afford to feed their children and keep a roof over their head? I mean, the Westminster system is meant to allow new voices to emerge. Is that you? I think I'm definitely the beginning of a change, and I hope your listeners out there are, are, are listening to me loud and clear, but I'm going to reiterate, reiterate this again. I need you sitting at home right now to stand up and have your voice heard. The next election is going to be here before you know it, before you know it. You need to be ready to put your hand up to run, and if you're not going to run, if you don't have it in you, then you need to be ready to support a guy or a girl like me from a minor party because the two major parties are done for, especially the Liberal Party. I mean, when I was growing up, the Liberal Party was the party of the centre-right of conservative values. If you go onto the Liberal Party website right now and you click on their We Believe statement, their We Believe statement is a fantastic statement if you read that. However, they do not stick to that at all. They do not stick to their We, to their we Believe statement. They've lost, uh, they've lost their essence. They're not the party of a centre-right anymore. I think what's going to happen in the future in Australia, this is just my thoughts my uh, at the moment, I think that the future of the centre-right is going to be a lot of smaller minor parties together in a coalition, much like what's happened in Italy with the brothers of Italy, with uh, Georgia uh, Maloney, who's in power right now. So the centre-right is going to be dominated by smaller little parties uh, that are pushing the centre-right course who are eventually going to come together to hopefully one day, probably not anytime soon, but one day form government. I reckon the days of 
the Liberal Party are done and dusted. They're not sticking up to their values. I mean, if you look at Victoria, for example, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how familiar some of your viewers might be with Victoria, but you had John Prosciutto, uh, who is the leader of the Liberal Party in Victoria, throw out Maura Deeming from the party because Maura Deeming, what does she do? How, how dare she do this? She attended a women's rally uh, that was advocating for women's safety and women's rights. How dare she do that? The Liberal Party, no good, guys. You have to, you know, just you know what, step aside, let the UAP uh, get in there and let us fix this thing. Well, the only uh, state Liberal Party in more trouble than uh, the Victorian Liberals are the Western Australian Liberals, who don't appear to exist as a concept anymore. But as far as anyone can tell, and as you've, you've touched on here this morning, the career politicians have a tendency to feed the monster of growing state power. Now, you're down in the thick mm. of it in Victoria where it has to be one of the worst examples of expanded state power that we have ever seen in this country. Is the big state of Australia getting too big? <laughs> Is it, it, it got too big 10 years ago, 20 years ago even. There is nothing worse than a big state. You know what? I actually think, I'm, I'm not sure on the numbers exactly, but I think that the biggest employer in Victoria is actually the Victorian state government. They employ more people than any other business um, in the state. And I think that that's absolutely shocking. There is nothing worse than big government. Nothing worse. It's inefficient. There's too many layers of bureaucracy. You can't get anything done. Everything becomes uh, too difficult, too expensive. Projects are always running over time. It's just a, an absolute cluster F of a state at the moment. You know, if you want, if you want to be successful, if you want to, um, to have a better quality of life, what you need to do is you need to remove regulations and you need to let the free market do what a free market does best, and that's reduce costs, improve productivity, and make everyone wealthier. And it seems what's happening in Victoria right now is we're rejecting all those ideas. We're going backwards. We're sliding very deep into socialism. You know, I would argue, you know, one day we could even be, you know, staring down the barrel of communism if we keep going down the way that we're going right now at the speed that uh, we're going. So it's up to people like myself and people like you sitting at home right now that are watching this broadcast to put a stop to it. And you know what? The great thing about our country is we're even in, in a democracy, you know, you can have your voice heard. And I think people like me are actually in the majority. But the problem is, as Donald Trump would say, we're, we're the, silent, the silent majority. We, 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 uh, we don't want to get out there. We, we don't want to have our face seen. We just want to kick back, be left alone, raise our kids and uh, live our lives. But you know what? The left don't do that. The left are like militants. We have to become more like the left in the fact that we need to get out there and we need to make our voice heard. We, we, we can't sit back anymore because if, if we keep sit, sitting back, things are going to keep sliding the way that they are and it's just going to get worse and worse. Well, you actually give some of the best speeches in the Senate. And I, I could quite frankly sit here all day and throw you questions without notice on any random topic and you wouldn't skip a beat because you know the detail. And if you don't know the detail, you're, you're not afraid to have an opinion on something uh, and then you're not going to run away from it. Do you find it odd that so many of your peers are frightened about speaking honestly, about offering a genuine opinion, or frankly just saying, I don't know, I haven't covered that yet lately. They don't seem to be able to operate without a mm. script on issues that they should know. Is that a concerning feature of modern politics? That is, that is very concerning. And like I mentioned before, the reason why is they're more concerned about their jobs. They're more concerned about protecting that cushy job that they have because, frankly, these people are lazy. These people 
uh, not intelligent. Most of these senators that you, that you'll see in in the Senate, they're idiots. These idiots are in there right now, lording over you, lording over you, and you're going to let them continue with that garbage? No way. Get in there and make a difference. But the problem with these people is, like you said, they're all part of basically you know focus group politics. They're saying what they need to say. They're doing what they need to do to make sure that they don't say anything that might upset particular groups or things like that so that they can protect their seat. And that's not the right way to do politics. You need to wear your heart on your sleeve. You need to get in there and you need to make your voice heard and have a view. Have a, you know, Be passionate and stick to that view. Now, the problem with the centre-right is not enough pe- people on the centre-right are doing that right now. The left has no problem with it, no problem at all. But the centre-right has got to step up, get some kahunas, and, uh, you know, get in there and get down and dirty and, uh, you know, uh, make sure that, you know, we leave our country better off uh, into the future than what we found it. Because at the moment, if we keep going that the way that we're going, it's not going to be better off. What was it that uh, the leader of the Greens said? Just just Google it, I think he did, when he didn't know the answer to a particular <laughs> question. Uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather that than the Liberals who become furious if you've asked them an off-script question or refuse to do interviews unless they see the scripts beforehand. I, I mean, I actually would, in this case, rather the Adam Band approach, to be honest. But I've had, <laughs> I've had some, that's the only time you'll ever hear me say that. I've had some experience with some of your peers and uh, the Liberals, the Greens, Labour Party. And I have to say, it doesn't appear that they always, how shall I say this, by remaining diplomatic, read the legislation that they are making judgments on. Things such as the Digital Identity Bill, for example, is something that I'm convinced the Liberals did not understand based upon the way they answered questions about it. Is this lack of care and attention put into politics that dramatically alters the future of Australia? Is there lack of interest in understanding it like a genuinely serious problem because you can't if you can't ask questions and challenge a piece of legislation because the person who wrote it doesn't even understand it that seems to me to be an almost insurmountable problem it is an insurmountable problem and this goes back to what i said before about the men and women behind the curtain that actually pull the strings on these two major parties they also you know i'm not privy to these conversations but what i'm assuming happens is you know they might have meetings and things like this, and the men and women behind the curtain will say, this is your position or that is your position and that's it. So, you know, the people in the major parties, they don't have to be across the legislation just because they get told what to do and what to say. So that's how that that uh, obviously works. Now, going to the digital ID, I'm just going to go off on a tangent um, just for a quick second for your listeners here. The digital ID combined with the central bank digital currency is the single greatest threat to our freedom right now as Australians, the single greatest threat. It is more dangerous. It is more dangerous. And I'm, I cannot stress this enough to your freedom, if you're sitting at home right now watching this, than a standing army at the gate. Because if there was a standing army at the gate, you would know exactly where to direct your anger, your frustration, and, um, and, and your attention. You would know where it would go. But with a CBDC and a central, with a central bank digital currency and a digital ID, your freedoms will be slowly taken away without you even realising it. So you can think of a central bank digital currency as digital money, right? But it's very different to what you have in your internet banking right now because it's based off blockchain technology. This digital money will be programmable. It will be programmable. What does that mean? It means the government will be will be able to see 
exactly where your money is, where your money goes, how your money is spent, what you spend it on, everything. Now, the truth is, and if we had a, you know, a, a, a benevolent government and, you know, they were all great people, sure, maybe it's a great thing. But the last few years during COVID have shown us that we don't really have that. What happens when the government says, oh, you know, um, because of uh, our net zero commitments uh, this month, you have spent uh, too much money on red meat and you've reached your quota uh, for CO2 emissions. You can't have red meat next month. What happens when these kind of things come in? What happens if the government says, oh, you know, you've reached your CO2 uh, carbon allowance this month. Uh, you're not allowed to take that international flight. What happens then? And if you think these things won't happen, then you are very, very naive. We have a government right now that has demonstrated very, very clearly that they don't give us stuff about your rights and they'll take them away quick smart. So these are the kind of things that we're staring down the barrel of with uh, the digital ID and the CBDC. Very, very, very dangerous stuff. And if you think it's not going to happen here, this kind of stuff already happens in the CCP, in communist China. Yeah, well, so I, I'd, like I to, I'd like to talk about that for a second because this is I'm very passionate about this too. It's one of my main topics of, uh, of inquiry. But you should always design legislation as if your country was being run by Kim Jong-un. Like that's the basic principle that you should use. And I come from a computing background and we always designed our programs and our software that was being used by the public to be used by the most stupid person imaginable because that's how you have to design things. They should be robust and strong. But today it seems to be, let's just hope for the best as a, a policy writing thing, which is not going to work for us. But with the CCP, what we found is when they trialled the, the digital, what do you call it, the, the social credit system that they have there, they began with the premise that we will reward citizens who partake in this. We'll give you little dopamine hits. And if you, if you behave yourself and you smile the right way, we'll give you little benefits and things. And that's exactly what they are doing here with the introduction of this climate credit system. And so basically social credits, but with climate, where if you eat vegan food, you get a little gold star. If you walk instead of catch a car, you get a gold star. But as we saw at the CCP, that almost immediately becomes a system of oppression where if you don't do what they say, well, you get punished. Now, do you think, yep. do you think Australians or even our politicians, do you think they truly understand what this is going to mean? Because I don't think... I mean, there's always this joke that politicians are involved in some kind of global conspiracy, but the more of them I meet, you excluded, the more convinced I am that they're just, mm. they're just stupid. <sighs> Look, I don't think many of them really understand what they're doing. Well, that, that's what I'd like to... That's what I'd like to believe. I'd like to believe that they're just unaware of what's going on. I'd like to believe that. However, at the highest levels of our government, of our bureaucracy, I think these people have a full understanding of what's going on. You can, you know, you can maybe forgive your local member down the road that's, you know, in the shopping centre. You can maybe forgive him or her. But at the top, they know exactly what's happening. They either just, they either agree with it and they think it's it's how it should be. Maybe they've been promised a cushy job afterwards. Maybe they want to protect the job that they have now. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But at the very highest level, these 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 guys and girls, I I believe that they know what's happening, and it's wrong because they're setting up their fellow countrymen and women to live in bondage and to live in servitude into the future. That's not the legacy that they should want to leave. 
for future for future generations. And if they keep going like this, and I think this the change will take time, things have to get bad before the average person really stands up and has their voice heard. My fear is that the system of control that they're building at the moment around our nation will be too advanced and too powerful by the time that people do wake up to the globalist agenda of what's going on right now that we'll be unable to break out of it. That's my fear. So I do admit that things will have to get worse before they get better. I just hope it doesn't take too long because if we if we let them continue building this digital prison, this prison for our minds, this prison for our currency, this prison for us, then um, it's going to be tough to break out of it. I mean, look at the CCP, right? The Chinese people are suffering under a communist dictatorship right now, but they're unable to break out of it because the system that's being built around them is so pervasive, so powerful, so all-encompassing that they can't get out. If we get to that point, we're stuffed. We need to we need to look at what's happening in, in, in communist China uh, as a warning as to what will, not what can, what will happen here, and we've got to fight back. We just have to. We can't keep voting for the Labor Party and the Liberal Party. They don't care. Well, those, those, we have to move on from them. Well, Australia is being conquered by laziness and convenience, which is one of the saddest ways for a civilization to fall. But you said in your opening speech, and I want to quote this for our listeners because it was such a great opening speech, so bear with me. For too long, we have allowed our country to march toward collectivism. History has shown us this does not end well. We do not need to repeat the mistakes of the past. We need to, instead, look towards our future where individualism, entrepreneurship, freedom of speech, freedom of association and the free market are once again placed back in their rightful place as beacons of hope in an increasingly darkening world." End quote. Now, every time someone raises the alarm about collectivism, we get some offhand remarks about reds under the bed, which was, you know, from last century. But the reds aren't under the bed, are they, Senator? They're in every university, every school and every government department. Well, the reds have changed their stripe, well, have changed their colour. The reds are now, are now wearing green. That's what they're doing right now. But it is exactly the same thing. I was talking about this to someone earlier today. I mean, history is repeating. That's what's happening. History is repeating. Instead of being red now, they're green. They've got green jackets on. But it's the same thing. Collectivism will only end in misery for all. It will end in suffering. It will end in death. It will end in prison camps. It will end in you getting shot in the back of the head. And I choose my words very carefully here. I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm not saying in five years. I'm not even saying in 10 years. I'm saying the natural end of collectivism is suffering. And you can look at every history book, you can you, you, you can go back as far as you want and you can have a look. It never ends in 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 uh, freedoms, it it never ends in in wealth, it never ends in happiness, it never ends in anything like that. It just ends in misery. That's what collectivism leads to. Read a book, read a book. I mean what, what uh, we're seeing right now is we're, we're seeing a very clear attempt from the left to erase the past. They're trying to erase the past. They're trying to bring down our history. They're trying to destroy everything that we as conservatives hold dear to our hearts so that a new world can be rebuilt 
on its foundations, on its ashes. That's what they're trying to do. And I'm telling you guys now, if you, know, if you, if you don't, if you don't get active, this reality will come to pass. It is a mathematical certainty that it will come to pass. And, you know, guys like me, I'm early to the party. That's what I am. I'm, I'm early. I'm banging this drum now for something that's going to happen in 20, 30, 40 years, right? But I'm just first. But I will not be the last. I will not be the last. I have opened that floodgate and now the water up is, is going to rush through. But you need to be that person. And I, I've said it more than once now in this uh, broadcast. I keep harping on about it every time someone gives me an interview. Uh, you got to get active. you got to stand up. you got to have your voice heard. What you've done is spied the shovel in the corner of the room and gone, hang on, why is there a shovel over there? I'm not going to dig gravel. I'm not going to get into a gulag. And you've seen that before the gulags have even been built. But I find it interesting that when they teach kids today about collectivism, it's all free health care and, you know, a universal basic wage. They seem to leave out the bit about how collectivism almost always ends in cannibalism. You don't hear about Stalin's Cannibal <coughs> Island or the, the people under <coughs> Mao's regime who were literally digging up corpses and eating them. I mean, this is how collectivism really ends. You don't get free health care. It's not, it's not like that. The, no. state, the state doesn't give you money for free. This is what I find extraordinary. And the kids who hate being told what to do are the kids who want to bring in communism. I'm not sure who's going to tell them how this actually works. But I find that this is a failure of education. Now, the Liberals, either federally or in most states, had a long time to correct the education of children. Do you think that this... They did this whitewashing and glorification of socialism has led our kids down this path of not truly understanding what it is that they are asking for? I don't think, I know. You're completely right, absolutely. Look, like you said, the Liberal Party were in power for a very long time. They could have easily stepped in and said, hang on, guys, um, let's stop teaching our kids this kind of garbage. Let's, let's teach our kids real history. Uh, let's pull all this woke nonsense out of schools. You know, that could have just said, uh, teach, teach kids the basics. Teach kids not teach kids how to learn, right, how to learn, how to teach themselves. Teach them that. Don't just spoon, spoon, feed, them, spoon, spoon feed them things. Uh, just teach them how, how. And, you know, they, they had the chance to make a difference. They did absolutely nothing. They've been in power. It was it three election cycles that they were in power for? Absolutely nothing. And now they stand in the Senate and they stand in the, in the House and, you know, they, they preach like, oh, look at us. We're so good. We're the party of the centre-right. The coalition is going to save you. The coalition is not going to save you. The coalition put us where we are today. That's what they did. Is Everything that's happening now happened because of them on their watch. You know what? I don't blame the left. I don't blame the Marxists because they tell you exactly what they are. They they tell you we're going to do X and they do X. They go ahead and they do it. I blame the current uh, major parties on, well, the current major party on the centre, right, the Liberal Party, because they haven't stood up for their values. The Marxists have stood up plainly for their values. They, they preach about it from the rooftops. It's the Liberal Party that's the problem. Say what you're going to do, stick by your values and then do it. If they just did that, we'd be okay. But they're not doing that. And, you know, I, the, the blame is on them. Well, it's actually, well, it'd be funny if it wasn't so terrifying because the Labor Party went hard into converting children to collectivism via the climate. It's basically eco-fascism. 
And they went so hard on it. Instead of creating a new generation of Labor voters, they actually created a generation of hardcore green communist voters. And now they're struggling with the emergence of green power, which they created through their own stupidity. And the Liberals aren't even in the game. They're just sitting there watching it going, I don't understand what happened. Why are there no Liberals? I mean, it's not a very difficult question to answer. But you're passionate about saving life. And right now there is a moral discussion taking place that's circling the Born Alive bill. Now, I just want to separate this out from the general discussion about abortion and point out that we're talking specifically about what to do with children who, for whatever reason, have survived the process of termination. Now, no matter what side of the abortion fence you sit on, most Australians agree that a child born alive should be kept alive. Now, have you been surprised by the pushback from the political class who seem to disagree with the Australian public about this? Surely it's a straightforward concept. You, you know what you'd think it'd be this you know you'd think you'd think it'd be this is hard for me to talk about because you know I've 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 obviously you know been there for and you know I've, I've watched all the testimonies that we've that we've had from the from uh, members of the public talking about this so a bit of background for people Senator Matt Canavan and Senator Alex Antic and I introduced a bill into the Senate called the Born Alive Bill all the bill seeks to do is say if a child is born alive as a result of a failed abortion, which happens more often than you think. Uh, in Queensland and Victoria, it happens once a week, just in Queensland and Victoria. And I quote those two states because we only have data for those two states. We don't have data for the other states and territories because they're not required to keep it. So at least one time a week, a child's born alive, born alive as a result of a failed late-term abortion. That child is as as far as um, our evidence shows, is just placed in a in a metal kidney dish, for example, put to the side and left to die. It can take hours, many, many hours for that child to pass. So what we're saying is that if that happens, give that child the same care as you would any other child. Okay, give them the same, same level of care. We're not saying ban abortion or anything like that. We're saying if this child is born alive, look after that child. That's all we're saying. We've had public hearings. We've had people into the Senate to, uh, sorry, into uh, Parliament House to tell us their views and their thoughts. We've had doctors in. We've had midwives in, and the pushback that I've received from the left has been disgusting. You just have to go onto my Twitter page and have a quick look. I had a quick scroll on it before I got on this call. Uh, this call with you, but the left, the party of tolerance, you know, the party that you know cares about you, is has just you know been vile, been absolutely vile. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, if this is news to you right now, just go to my YouTube channel, Senator Bet. I've got a video up there uh, of, of a, a highlights reel of all the evidence that we've taken in in uh, in in, in uh, Parliament House in regards to this issue. It's very very confronting, and we need to do more because a society a society can be judged can be judged, and I'm going to pick my words carefully here by how it chooses. Uh, but how it, it chooses to uh, treat its most vulnerable, its most vulnerable. And if we as a society say that we're going to let a child born alive as a result of a failed abortion sit in a cold metal dish and die over many, many hours instead of providing care to that child, it could be as simple as care to you know ease their passing. It could be that, you know, uh, pain relief, for example, a warm blanket, I don't know. That's up for debate. 
it, it, it could be that. But if we're going to sit there and say we don't care about the most vulnerable humans in our society, well, that is a collective, that is a stain. That is a stain on the collective soul of our nation and of us as a people. What we're saying, in a way, in a way, is that we're okay with essentially sacrificing children. That's what it comes down to. It's wrong. I want to do something about it. I want to protect the, the innocence of children as, as much as I can. And I hope that people can get behind this bill because it is it is a hard one for me to even talk about. And it, it is important that us as a society, you know, we put a line in the sand and say, you know, we're not going to be okay with, you know, uh, allowing children to die in cold metal trays. It's just wrong. Well, something else happened a couple of days ago, which has also brought shame to Australia on the international stage. And that is our e-safety commissioner complaining about free speech on Twitter and wanting to find the mm. only social media company that facilitates open communication. Now, I'd like to add mm. that this is the same e-safety commissioner who wasn't concerned at all when victims of the COVID vaccine were being silenced to protect governments and big pharma, or when conservatives were being issued with death threats on a daily basis, or even when women are being verbally attacked and threatened by male trans activists. Now, Senator, I get the feeling that the political class, especially those that like to micromanage the social conversation of the nation, cannot stand Twitter's existence because it's the only place where we can criticise them and their behaviour? Well, the e-safety commissioner, but, but, uh, by the way, she's a, a WEF World Economic Forum alumni stooge. She's what she is. I call her a stooge. That's my opinion. Uh, maybe you have a different, a different uh, opinion, but she's the woman that was at the World Economic Forum, I think it was last year, and she was on a panel and she said something along the, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, we, we, we would have to recalibrate freedom of speech and human rights online or something like this, which was madness as far as I can tell. Now, you'll note that the e-safety commissioner has not gone after Facebook or Instagram, which I think there was an article in the World in, in the Wall Street Journal um, not too long ago where Facebook and Instagram was, were, were reported to have been promoting child pornography. She doesn't go after them. No, no. She goes after the only platform where where the person that runs the platform has said that uh, if it's lawful and legal to say they're going to allow it. That's all he said. It's not like Elon Musk has uh, come out publicly and said, oh, we're going to allow, you know, all sorts of illegal things on our platform. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's come out staunchly and said, we're going to eliminate child pornography. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get it all taken down. He's come out and said, if it's lawful, it should be allowed to be up there. And this is the platform that she's going to go after. Not, not uh, Facebook, not Instagram, who's been proven to be promoting child porn. She goes after Twitter. What does that say? It says that they're afraid. It says that the establishment is afraid of Twitter because, let's face it, Twitter is the digital town square now. It is the true digital town square. Being, being on Twitter is akin to, you know, getting on, on a soapbox, you know, out, out near your local shops where there's a big congregation of uh, people, getting up there and saying, these are my views and I think it should be like this or I think it should be like that. And they are worried, they are worried that people are going to have a voice, people are going to be able to organise, people are going to be able to have their views heard. Those views may be different to what the government would like you to have. And that's what she's really uh she's really worried about. She's worried about the establishment 
losing power and losing control through Twitter. And if they allow Twitter to, 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 to keep going the way that it's going, they're worried that maybe Twitter inspires another social platform. Maybe someone else sets up and goes, you know what, I like the values of free speech, I'll start another platform. So they're worried that people are going are to get organised. And, you know, I don't think it's right. I'm going to write to the e-safety commissioner today and I'm going to ask her to, you know, explain herself and I'm I'm going to make sure that she, she understands that I, I'm not happy with what she's trying to do right now and I'm going to grill her at the next Senate estimates. And I want to make this clear for people sitting at home right now. This e-safety commissioner, she was put in this position of great power by none other than the freedom-loving, apparently, centre-right Liberal Party. That's who put her in that position, the Liberal Party. So the next time you go and vote, don't you dare tick that box for, for the Liberal Party thinking that they're the party of a centre-right of conservative values of freedom because they are not. Yeah, well, the Liberals were also the party that brought in that uh, terror legislation. I use that word really broadly and roughly because what it actually was was anti-free speech legislation that was immediately used to silence people in the COVID era instead of being used what they said it would, which was to stop pedophilia and acts of terror. It's not being used for that. It's being used against the general public. And we're seeing more and more legislation being drafted. And you're right, largely by the Conservatives who also brought in the digital ID legislation. I might just add that quietly in the side. They seem to be upping the uh, silencing of the basic human rights of free speech. But Senator, you have been a warrior for free speech and freedom of association and freedom of thought. And so I'd like to thank you for the work you do and for not being afraid of public opinion and public thought. You seem to have embraced the old school politics and what it's really about. And uh, also for your sentiments toward a united Australia, which is so important right now. So thank you for joining us and for your comments. Thank you, Alexandra. Now, I'll, I'll leave your audience with this as well. You know what? Um, we're all one colour and, you know, that colour is green and gold. That's what we are. Let's not divide our nation. Uh, let's, not, let's not allow the establishment to tear us apart. We're one people, one country, and, you know, we are a great country and there's nothing wrong with Australia that cannot be fixed with what is right with Australia. So, you know, get behind guys like me. Or, you know, other conservative uh, uh, minor parties of, of your choice. But the point is just, just get active in the political process. Don't be on the sidelines anymore because the Marxists left, they're not on the sideline, they're right in there, they're getting scrappy. So you, you have to get in there as well and you have to get scrappy as well. So thank you, Alexandra, for having me on. Well, that's all from us here today. I'm Alexandra Marshall. Catch you next week.